Good morning. It is, it is my joy and pleasure to get to, to do this today. Um, I can't smell. Does it smell good right now? All that food? It does? Okay, cool. All right. So the goal is I'm going to go for about an hour and a half and make you as hungry as possible. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I do ask that you just you bear with me. Um, this might feel like we're going all over the place, but I'm going to take you on a journey this morning, okay? I once heard a story of a man who was kicked out of church, um, the church he was attending. And as he came out the front door leading to the steps of the church, he saw Jesus sitting there. Jesus said to the man, don't worry about it. I've been trying to get in that space for years. Jesus asked the man to follow him, and he did. And the two of them went out and served the community around the church. I think this is a great way to get to the heart of the gospel. Like in our scripture passage that Lucas read so well this morning, the church has become very proficient at throwing stones instead of practicing what Jesus actually shows us as the living word of God. And as we have been learning in the One Another series, Jesus is asking us to do a bit of heart work ourselves. Today we will will be looking at another One Another commandment. Say that three times fast. I pray that you hear these words coming from someone who is struggling to practice these in his daily life. Not as one who has everything figured out. As one of my favorite songwriters of all time, Jackson Brown, once said, I'm not trying to tell you that I've seen the plan. Turn and walk away if you think I am. When I was a kid, I had a favorite towel. I used it until it had holes in it. Even then, I didn't want to get rid of it. Did any of you have a favorite towel when you were a kid? Maybe it was a dish towel that was handed down a beach towel, or a shower towel. The other day, I got the notion to see if I could find my old towel from my childhood on the great door into the past called eBay. Sure enough, I found it and immediately purchased it. There we go, right? All right, so some of us have towels of service as well, like the towel Jesus used to wash the disciples' feet in John 13. The question I want to pose this morning is if the towel is actually getting much use. Before we get to John 13, however, we need to get a framework for why the towel is even important in the first place. We are going to go on a journey this morning on what it means to serve in the Jesus kingdom, specifically how Jesus chose to serve with a towel instead of a throne. I invite you to join with with me in the fellowship of the towel. There were three occasions when the 12 disciples had an argument in the Gospels. And on all three of those occasions, the issue was the same. Amongst them, 
Who was the greatest? The first occasion happens in Mark 9. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. So Jesus sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. And then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. You see, at the heart of the disciples' conflict here is rivalry, self-righteous pride, selfish ambition, stirring up conflict, division, disunity, which is probably probably why they were embarrassed by Jesus' question of what they were arguing about. Uh, Nothing. Jesus hushed the argument with a simple and memorable answer in verse 35. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. No winners were announced. It is the one who is least among you all who is greatest. Every man has an equal chance to be great in Christ. The greatest equals the one who is least among you all with a humble attitude in acts and in deeds of service. In this case, it was children who were at the time seen as lowly and worth nothing in that culture. If I'm speaking honestly, no one wants to be last, the least, the unknown. The one who serves everyone, the unsung, the one who listens to everyone, the one who quietly cleans up when everybody else is gone. I have served in some capacity in the church since I was five years old. I have been a part of the service industry since I was 16. I'm now 40. The truth is, in both of these situations, I was looking for glory or to be seen for my good works of service. I served in the church because I thought if I said no, my dad would lose his job at the church. (laughs) You laugh, but it's true. It wasn't always that way. I served in restaurants, schools in India, Domino's Pizza, Starbucks, rock sales, Amazon, and even a tater tot food truck for means of making a living. And in many cases, my service looked and felt more like slaving away for my own glory instead of furthering the Jesus kingdom. My heart wasn't always looking for glory or to get further ahead in life, but there were definitely times where my service was in hopes of giving a, getting a coveted position in the church or at work. The truth is, people are my drug. Yes, I just said that. I love people and getting to know them. I love serving people. Over the years, I have found that what brings me the most joy is serving every man. More on the every man idea in a bit. The way I got my job at Starbucks was truly by accident. I had a friend who had a friend who had another friend who worked at Starbucks. 
This friend was telling me how desperate they were to find men to work at this particular Starbucks. This friend put, me in, put in a good word for me, and I went in to meet the manager about getting a job. I went in and talked to the manager, and he immediately told me to come in the next day for an interview. Now, here's where it gets weird. I went in the next day and sat down for the interview. The manager began calling me by a different name. I corrected him and said, uh, my name's Ben. He was confused because he thought I was somebody else. But being that he needed male baristas desperately, he continued the interview. He asked one question in the interview. Why do you want to work for Starbucks? My answer? Look, I don't know anything about coffee. But I do know that coffee and alcohol are the two biggest instigators for conversation in the world today. And I want to be a part of the conversation. He hired me on the spot. The interview was over. He said, come back tomorrow. And I did. I would spend almost 10 years working for Starbucks. And part of a lot of fun conversations. I share this story with you because Starbucks became a playground for me to serve people with with the Jesus kingdom in mind. People that may never walk in the doors of the church. People that need to know the love of Jesus. People that had a horrible taste in their mouth about who Jesus was because of how Jesus' people had been treating them. I was working amongst every man, and I was happy to live life right amongst them. Brother Lim has a a great perspective on this. Um, When believers joyfully care for and serve others, walk alongside others, assist others to grow and soar, others are inspired to willingly follow. There's little need for command and control or arguments with other believers on who is the greatest. That brings us to the second occasion where the disciples are fighting about who is the greatest. It happens in Mark 10, 35 through 45. And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to them, spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? Jesus asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in the places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Now, Jesus has a great response here, but I want to skip ahead to the disciples' reaction and then Jesus' perfect response to their foolishness. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over the people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. I want to remind you, I'm not trying to explain these first few scriptures in detail. They're just the vehicle that gets us to our destination. That being said, I believe that the heart of the gospel can actually be found in this passage right here. And some of you are going, really? Yes. Take a look at verse 43 through 45. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's it. Verse 45, the gospel that Jesus would give up his own power and glory to serve every man. Twice now, we've seen the disciples fighting for a throne and position in the Jesus kingdom. Twice now, Jesus has given the disciples the answer of service and humbling themselves for the kingdom's purposes. Matthew 20, 20 through 21 has a little bit of a different perspective on this, and I think it's hilarious. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on the left. What? James and John have now recruited their mother to help them in their fight for their placement in the Jesus kingdom. That's funny. (laughs) This has always made me laugh, as if the disciples' mother fighting their battles for them will do the trick. But my mom said... Also, quick note here. The kneeling down posturing by the mother here is supposed to be a form of worship, but her real intention was to actually get something from Jesus. This often happens in our churches and our lives. We play religious games expecting God to give us something in return. True worship, however, adores and praises Christ for who he is and what he has done. The third occasion where the disciples are fighting about who is the greatest, and this one's ridiculous too, happens in Luke 22, 14 through 30. I find this a bit fitting today as we will be coming actually to the table to reflect on what Jesus did for us on the cross. Now, the time was Passover, and it was the most sacred of Jewish feasts. There were about three million people who would have been in Jerusalem for this celebration week, right? Word had spread like wildfire through the city that the Jesus of Nazareth was on his way to the feast. Thousands lined the road. As Jesus made his way into Jerusalem, Hosanna, they chanted. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father, David. It was probably louder than that. The thing is, Jesus wasn't what the crowd expected. They expected a conquering king. And he disappointed the Passover pilgrims that week. But in so doing, he fulfilled the most profound need. This is made graphically clear a few days later when Jesus and his friends had gathered for a meal. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until... Its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Once again, I'm going to skip ahead to after the meal. After Jesus talks about his betrayal. In fact, to me it's a bit comical because Jesus has just literally finished talking about this huge thing that he is about to do. Right? What's about to happen and a betrayal and what the disciples are doing. And what are the disciples doing? 
Then they began to argue amongst themselves about who would be greatest amongst them. Really? Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and the great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. Just before, Jerusalem, just before coming into Jerusalem that week, Jesus told his disciples, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. In that one line, he turned everything upside down. Jesus was turning things upside down and the disciples were still thinking, even at this last meal, that this was Jesus announcing his rise to power, not his lowering of self to death. And in these last moments after a foot wash and last meal with the disciples, it is clear that they have missed everything that Jesus has been laying out before them. They are still fighting for placement in a fictional earthly Jesus kingdom that will overthrow their current oppressors. While Jesus is thinking about every man on the planet and how to redeem them all back to him, the disciples think that they are a part of this cool kids club and they have this awesome leader who's going to kick all their bullies' rumpuses and the dudes they don't like out of the way. They think that Jesus is making way for a certain type of people. When in fact, Jesus is actually making a way, a new way, in a new kingdom for every man. I mentioned Jackson Brown earlier, and I've been dropping subtle hints, or not so subtle, to a song he wrote many years called, Every Man. Over the last few months, this song has spoken to me in a deep and heart-changing way. Does music affect you guys that way? It definitely affects me that way. You see, lately, I have had thoughts about leaving church behind altogether and starting my own church with my own friends. I have had this thought dating back to my high school years. A church that is catered to my beliefs and with my friends. A new way of churching, if you will. The thing is, I'm always brought back to the idea of how the church is for every man. The truth is, what I'm wanting in this new church is a club where everything is the way I want it, and the people I approve of are all there. Call it a tree fort church, right? Fill in the blank with a no whoever allowed. This isn't the church. What I need is to be in a community with every man that God has created, no exceptions. For with Jesus, there are no exceptions. In the Jackson Brown song, he talks about how these people want to just sail away. And they're going to they're gonna get away from the world's problems and they're going to go make it on their own, right? Leave all the riffraff behind and just go to the next thing. I want to read these lyrics to you. I don't have time to explain all of it. If you want to talk about it later, let's do it. That would jack me up. I'd be happy. <laughs> Everybody I talk to is ready to leave. 
with the light of the morning. They've seen the end coming down long enough to believe that they've heard their last warning. Standing alone, each has his own ticket in his hand. And as the evening descends, I sit thinking about every man. Seems like I've always been looking for some other place to get it together. Where with a few of my friends, I could give up the race and maybe find something better. But all my fine dreams and well-thought-out schemes to gain the motherland have all eventually come down to waiting for every man. Everybody's just waiting to hear from the one who can give them the answers and lead them back to the place in the warmth of the sun where sweet childhood still dances, who will come along and hold out a strong but gentle father's hand. Long ago, I heard somebody say something about every man. I've got chills right now. <laughs> Just so you, know. you see, I think sometimes we put so much stock in heaven and forget the Jesus theme of every man redeemed back to him. Jackson is realizing that every man actually matters, and he doesn't actually want to leave them behind. Just like Jesus didn't want to leave anybody behind. And I think we see this in John 13, 1 through 17. Just before the Last Supper in that upper room, Jesus does something significant that defines the entire Jesus kingdom. And it involves every man. Let's take a look. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his, his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table took off his robe and wrapped a ninja turtle. No, but he did wrap a towel around his waist. And he poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash, except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him, that it was he, that 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 is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. 
I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Once again, in this passage, we see the heart of the gospel. The true identity of Jesus is revealed here just as much as in the incarnation, the death, or even the resurrection. In fact, our text identifies the situation as a place where we see the full extent of his love. Since the streets and roads of Palestine were actually playing dirt, in dry weather they were deep in dust. And in wet weather they could become liquid mud. The shoes people wore in that day were simple. A flat sole held onto the feet by a few straps. I tried to let my wife borrow one of her Birkenstocks. She wouldn't let me. So imagine that. All right? That's why just inside the doorway of homes sat a basin of water with a towel. The custom was for a servant to greet the visitors and wash their feet, like the one I have set here on stage. But on this night, when Jesus gathered his disciples for a meal, the wash basin, basin sat unused. Of course, the disciples had their minds riveted on more noble thoughts. The talk of the week had ignited their imaginations of the kingdom of God, dreams of thrones and power of, and glory. In fact, they were conflicted about which one of them would actually be the greatest in this kingdom. While everybody in the house had dirty feet. So Jesus got up from the table, prepared himself, and started to wash the feet of his followers. Here is the king of kings washing filthy feet and drying them with a towel. Here is a king whose symbol of authority is a towel. Jesus laid aside his garments that night just as he laid aside his glory in heaven and his privileges as the son of God. Jesus reaches for the towel reveal Jesus reaching for that towel actually reveals his own concept of positional power. From a human perspective, washing feet is actually beneath the dignity of a king. In fact, Peter reflected his shock at Jesus' actions when he responded, "You shall never wash my feet." You see, Peter wanted Jesus to fit into human ideas of royalty and privilege. In this feet washing, Jesus dismantled our concept of position and pecking order. We live with the notion that to be a leader is to be exalted. But in his use of the towel, Jesus revealed that, the, that being God means coming down from his throne and giving himself to serve. Jesus' leadership with a towel inaugurates a fellowship of foot-washing, towel-grabbing servants. It deletes the image of clamoring for power, people climbing over each other to get to the top. Jesus' example actually even puts, the rest, puts to rest the notion that I wash your feet so that you will wash mine. Rather, I wash your feet so that you can turn around. And wash another's feet. I once heard a preacher interpret Jesus' words here to imply that my neighbor is now the appointed is now the appointed 
agent authorized to receive what I actually owe the master and my savior. You see, a God on his knees humbles me. For if my only view of God is that of a supreme king at the top rung of the ladder, then I am always going to be wondering how will I get to him and worrying how am I doing? Am I making progress towards him? What can I do to make my way up to him? In the name of religion, I become preoccupied with myself compared to where every man is positioned on that ladder. But this kind of love knocks me off the ladder and out of the center. Jesus was revealing the king's own idea about what it means to be king. Jesus changes our whole concept of power, of authority, and of status. The central message of this passage is this. Jesus serves. Even more than at the incarnation, the death, or the resurrection, we might see his servanthood here. Yeah, the incarnation, death, and resurrection were heroic because only Jesus could serve in that way. Only Jesus could serve as a God who became flesh. Only Jesus could die on the cross as a sinless lamb to take away the sins of the world. Only Jesus could exhibit the power to conquer the forces of death. But in this case, in this case, anybody could have served. Anybody could have chosen to wash feet. But only Jesus did. Why did he do it? To start a new sacrament? No. There was simply a need. They all had dirty feet. And no one seemed willing to do anything about that need. You could read too much into this passage, but what it boils down to is there was a need that anyone could have met, but only Jesus met it. Isla Mae Morgan once said, our attitudes are the real disabilities. Washing feet means taking care of somebody when no one expects you to and when no one will pay you back. We have too many of us fighting for thrones and not enough of us fighting for towels. We have too many of us throwing stones instead of grabbing the towels. When you meet Jesus here on his knees in the lowest of places, Jesus taught that as we encounter the lowly and broken people of this world, that in a very unique way, we see Jesus himself. But I believe that it is here as we wash people's feet We start seeing the world uniquely as Jesus himself does. You see, this whole story is about loss. And that is why everybody wants to avoid the washing. No one wants to lose. It's a loss of time. But that's not even the big one. It's a loss of pride. Now that is major. You see, Jesus humbled himself and took the position of a slave here to wash their feet. And our text has just told us, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and he would return to God. Now, the disciples had just been fighting over positions. They had been worrying um, themselves about the rewards and placements in the Jesus kingdom. They had left everything according to Peter. And Peter was sitting there wondering what they were going to get for it. 
And when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he was washing the feet of a bunch of religious men who were fighting about thrones. But nobody wanted to fight for a towel. This is our problem in the church. We have too many of us fighting for thrones in our fellowship and not enough of us fighting for towels. When I hear about the fights we are going through in our churches, there have been too many people playing church politics. We have been jockeying for positions, power, and the best seats, where it has been in our local, whether it has been in our local congregation or the fellowship at large. Pride and prestige have taken precedence over towels. We have had too many church splits, disunity, and fights in our churches, but very few of our fights have actually been over a towel. The disciples were looking around wondering, what will happen to me if I help? And Jesus is asking, what will happen to them if I don't help? This is the essence of why Jesus came. What would have happened if Jesus hadn't come? This is why he is going to the cross right after the upper room, because what will happen to us if Jesus does not help? And Jesus tells us to do the same thing. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. What is going to happen to the everymans of the world if we do not do something? Think about it. What is going to happen to them if we do not help? Our churches are being plagued with division. What is going to happen to the church if we do not quit having to have things our own way and instead start serving every man? Even the ones that are not doing what we wish they would do. Now, there's a second loss in this passage, and it's connected to just plain old hurt. What do you think is going through the mind of Jesus as he is washing the feet of Peter and Judas? He knows full well what they're about to do. Jesus answered, A person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. Does anything hurt worse than betrayal and denial? Jesus doesn't serve here hoping that his service will cause an immediate change in their behavior. No. He serves knowing that they are not about to change and do what he wants. Oh, maybe it seems like Peter changes in verse 9 when he says, Wash all of me! But Peter didn't get it. Jesus serves knowing they are not going to change. Many of us serve totally with ulterior motives. I did. We serve because we believe that we will get results by the service. Our lack of service is actually most often because of one reason. We don't think we'll get that many results. Jesus served no matter what the results were going to be. Why do we grab the towel? Because Jesus grabbed the towel. This loss touches maybe the greatest loss. A loss of love to pour out your love and then not have it returned. Or to pour out your love and then have it gone because of separation. 
So is it really worth it to risk love on your knees? Is showing this kind of love really worth the loss? And I would argue that love is always worth the loss. Jesus would tell you that, whether it comes from the loss of the towel or the loss of the cross. The love that I am talking about here in this passage is a love that you see on its knees. It is a love that is about loss. But love, but Jesus says that when you lose your life, you will find it. Jesus may have lost a lot here on his knees, but he, he found something worth the loss. Some of us, some of us are not going to experience the deepest life that Jesus has to offer until we actually enter the fellowship of the towel. Jesus would tell us that if we want to be happy and find life, go lose yourself in an older person, someone poor, someone in a wheelchair, homeless, an orphan, a drug addict, someone with different beliefs, someone not like you, someone suffering, the lonely. The list goes on. I'm sure you could think of a few thousand more. It does not have to be a heroic service. It can just be the mundane, ordinary service of any need, like washing dirty feet. Above all, I think he is telling us to quit trying to get noticed at church or in the fellowship. Quit playing your church politics and actually serve somebody. Then, and only then, will you find what you are looking for. It is when you get up and give up the throne and take the position on your knees and pick up the towel. That's when it happens. You can think of a few people that need to be served, can you not? Do something. I'm going to do something, you know. Anyone can meet these kinds of needs, but the question is, will you do it? Jesus tells us, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. That's not why we do it, but you will get blessed. Quit using the excuses that you don't have the time, that they may take advantage of you that they probably aren't going to change anyway. Or it just costs too much. Because if you do do it, the love you encounter will be worth the loss. Like Bob Dylan once said, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. I think Rich Mullins says it pretty well in his song, Every Man, about Jesus' service and to whom he was serving. And the Lord looks down and he understands, but the world draws up its lines. But at the foot of the cross, there's room for everyone, a love that is not blind. It can look at who we are and still see beyond the differences we find. But with thorns in his brow and a spear in his side, nails in his hand, he died. For you and I, for you and I and every man, the world draws up its lines, but at the foot of the cross, there's room for everyone and love that is not blind. I am willing to bet that if we choose to grab the towel instead of forcing our truths on the everymans of this world, Jesus will be seen and heard in a much more profound way. And we will begin to see the church grow in a massive way. So church, I got to ask, 
Are we going to be a fellowship willing to grab a towel like Jesus grabbed the towel? Or will we continue to cling to a distorted throne? Shailene Stewart is a musician I recently found, and one of her songs floored me the first time I heard it. It floored me so much, I proceeded to listen to it 12 more times in a row. I have the stats to prove it. I think it is a great way to close our time here, and I'm going to offer it up as a closing prayer. I'm going to ask you to not close your eyes. Whoa. Okay? Don't close your eyes, but read the lyrics on the screen as if it's a prayer. Okay? I don't want to forgive you. You've been so cruel to me. You took my heart and abused it. Do you not see the ways you've broken me? Sometimes I hate you. Sometimes I hate I called you friend. And then Jesus steps in. You can throw a stone if you've never sinned. Go ahead. Can you throw it? He says you can't throw stones while washing feet. You either choose your pride or you choose me. Child, let go of the anger burning in your heart. It doesn't reflect mine. So God, I repent of the times I've let anger consume me. Repent of the times forgiveness wasn't near me. Lord, I just want to reflect your heart. You're all I need. Help me when someone burns me. To grab a bucket and grab their feet. Wash those feet crystal clean. The stones so far, you can't even see them. Lord, for my unforgiveness, I repent.